Welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast. This is episode 24. I am your host, as always, Noah Rubin. Uh, today, we're just going to go through a quick Q&A uh, with Adam King from Fantasy Basketball International is back once again to go through these with me. Uh, just as a quick reminder before we start to subscribe to my Substack, noahrubin.substack.com. Uh, hopefully, we'll start doing some columns again here soon, but you'll at least get a notification when a new podcast episode goes up in your email. Uh, every time we do those once a week, uh, follow me on Twitter. If you're watching, it's right here at no ribbon 22. Uh, you can reach out to me with any fantasy related questions, NBA related questions, and I will be happy to answer them or get back to you on those. And if you can like rate, subscribe, uh, review this podcast, it helps it gain visibility and real quick, just before we start, just a quick reminder that sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and I want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbooks accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there has never been a better time to sign up. When you visit my page, which is signupexpert.com TML, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sports books have valuable sign-up offers with, for new users, and when you register through my link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sports books, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sports book at signupexpert.com TML, which is for the Tank Me Later podcast. And we are about to go ahead and get into episode 24. as i said a quick q a maybe not so quick we, uh, but i will go ahead and bring in our guests for this one adam king um adam it is evening here per usual it is morning there it is your weekend how, how are you feeling to, to to be at your weekend and getting a break uh very good um i've only got about a week left of work and then I, we head off on a on a trip so I'm not looking forward to next week at work because it's going to be uh, it's going to be very busy. Sort of cramming three weeks worth of work into five days. Uh, but other than that, yeah, excited for the weekend. Uh, family's gone away for the day. Uh, I've got to go to an awards ceremony this afternoon, which means I need to pull my suit out of storage, uh, dust off the cobwebs, and, and head along to something that I'm probably not going to win anyway. But it's free food and free drinks, so. Why not? And that that's an award in itself is free food and free drinks. So you're you're really winning no matter what. So that's right. I do have to drive home, so I can't take full advantage <laughs> of it. But uh, and it's a, it's a weird time. It's an afternoon thing. Um, it's not even an evening thing. So, uh, but anyway, I'll I'll head along and and have fun and uh, then yeah, get ready for Sunday. We're doing a show. Do I'm doing a show tomorrow. Um, so yeah, fantasy doesn't stop. Never does, never. And we are, I saw a tweet earlier that said we are three weeks away from NBA basketball. I'm assuming that means preseason. Uh, I didn't mm. actually look to confirm that, but that feels crazy considering it feels like, I don't know, the season kind of just ended. So I, I'm excited for it to all be back. But then again, that also brings back the grind of consistent uh, fantasy work, a lot of blurbs for me. So it'll, <laughs> it's it's fun, but it's obviously a lot more work. It is, yeah, yeah. It must be 
preseason, I think, because we're still five five and a bit weeks, I think, till the, the start of the regular season. Um, so, yeah, three weeks. So, yeah, I mean, look, at the heads. it has sort of snuck up on us. And, and I think every year as analysts, we're all bored, like come July, August, unless you do dynasty stuff, which you do, of course, all that redraft, those that focus on redraft like myself, we just get bored by like the season ends and within two weeks we're bored and we just want fantasy. So we we tend to be nudging the redraft preseason <laughs> further and further up, um, doing mock drafts way too early, looking at player ranks. Um, but look, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to talk to no one if, if no one wants to listen at that time of year. Well, somebody has to set the kind of baseline for this is kind of what a draft should look like. So a mock draft two months ahead, it just gives everybody a chance to kind of see it and then adjust their rankings based off that. But that first mock draft we did, I think it was back in August, kind of felt like a lot has changed since then. Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, we're lucky as part of our community, obviously, for for FBI is pretty big. We got a few thousand people in the Discord and – a lot of them are very sad people like myself and like you and those who, who need fantasy basketball in their life. So so we're able to roll out a lot of draft-only leagues and, and mock drafts from basically from July um, for money and, and get a, a really nice, as you said, create that baseline in terms of ADP and who's who's going where and auction values, all that sort of stuff. So So we are lucky to have the community that we have. Yeah, I always would get the notifications in the Discord saying with from B Dub saying, "Oh yes, this is draft only number thirty six. We're rolling out here." I'm like thirty six already. This is ridiculous. Yeah. But like you said back in July, getting good data, setting a baseline, I mean, that's that's important at that time of year. That way, there's something for everybody to kind of adjust based off that, and it's not just uh, people making rankings and then adjusting from that. Like it's real data, especially when you're putting money down for it. So, I think it's good data. Yeah, it is. I, and I think that's what probably sort of makes us a little bit different from from just other analysts or other data is that ours is actually people have money on the line for, for all of our leagues. That I mean, it's only $5. Obviously, that's not going to break the bank for, for most people. But I think if you have any money on the line in a draft, you probably take it a little more seriously because you know mm-hmm. that there's a chance of getting $50 or $70 or whatever it is at the back end. So, um, yeah, and I think we're up to 60 or 65 draft-only leagues or something like that. And, and obviously the World Cup's about to kick off as well, so we'll get some some more data from that. Definitely. And we are in the business of helping people win their leagues and make money or just have bragging rights over their friends. Uh, so we did – we have – I think it's eight questions. I came up with three of them myself. I think we're here. Are we good, Adam? We are. We're good. It kind of like cut out on my screen for a second, so I want to make yeah. sure. Sweet. So the first question comes from at Eastgate Cruise on Twitter. You draft Steph Curry round one and go for a punt field goal percentage build. Who are some good round seven to nine players to draft in a 12-team head-to-head league? So round seven to nine, I believe, will be starting pick 73 to pick 108, kind of that range. Um, the first thing, Adam, I think we kind of mentioned this before we started recording was 
if you're going with Steph, you really don't have to punt field goal percentage. He shot 49.3% from the field last year, uh, which is really good for a guard, especially mm -hmm. when shooting as many threes as he is. Um, that's pretty crazy to have him shooting that high of a percentage. So I don't think that's necessarily something you have to do, but if you want to do it, um, it's, you know, not going to be the, it's not going to hurt you to punt field goal percentage with the rest of your team, but you don't necessarily have to with Steph to do that. But uh, who are a few guys, Adam, that you kind of see fitting well with a punt field goal percentage build um, kind of around that pick 73 to 108 range? Yeah, so I made a little list, um, and, and I guess in my mind, if you're punting field goal percentage, you're going with guard. Like you're, you're going to be focusing a little bit on guards because you usually they're going to shoot worse from the field than than bigs. So obviously, any guard you get is generally going to be a good fit um, for this build. So I sort of I came up with a list, as I said, of a few guards, but also focusing on players that are going to fill out those other positions that don't rely necessarily on field goal percentage. So forwards, centers, um, like really good centers for this kind of build, are someone like a Nikola Vucevic or a, um, well, I mean, if you're looking at center eligible, actually I've got to check if he is center eligible. Uh, where is he? Pascal Siakam. I don't even know what question. his rank is. I know sometimes he is. Uh, center eligible, um, and then other times he's not. Why can't I find him? <laughs> Hang on, let me bring him up. He's center eligible oh, he on Yahoo. Okay, on Yahoo, not on Fantrax. All right, and, yeah. but that could change. Fantrax often update their yeah. their um, eligibility closer to the season. So, um, so yeah, but they, but they're obviously not going to be available in round seven to nine. So. Um, some of the guards I came up with were <clears throat> Devin Vassell, someone I really like if he's available. Um, I think he could be top 40 this season. So uh, someone who doesn't shoot the ball particularly well. Terry Rozier is another one coming off a year where he basically stunk it up from the field. Um, I think he'll be better with Lamelo, um, But he is falling in drafts. And we saw, I think, prior to last season, he'd been top 50, top 40 for a couple of years. So... Another guy, yeah. nice guy to target. Anthony Simons, Tyler Hero are two other guys that might be available in sort of around pick 70, pick uh, 80. And then for the forwards, um, Cam Johnson, someone I like this season. If, if you don't care about his field goal percentage, he's a really good fit because he'll score, he'll hit threes, he gets some steals, rebounds decently enough. Um, Jeremy Grant, he's, I mean, if, if Damian Lillard leaves... <laughs> Grant's field goal percentage could be 42%, but he's going <laughs> to shoot the ball 30 times. So Jeremy Grant is another one. And then Michael Porter Jr. is another one I had there who uh, gets some rebounds, um, hits some threes, good from the free throw line, not super efficient from the field, um, at least not consistently. I like a lot of those names. I had them on my mental list as I have my Yahoo ADPs pulled up right here. Um, I'm going to add to it a little bit. Buddy Heald, uh, his current Yahoo ADP is 76.3. He shot 45.8% from the field last year, mm -hmm. and he's going to chuck three. So that's another guy. Um, I, I was able to look up his field goal percentage. The rest of these guys, I'm just kind of going off the top of my head as saying they're bad field goal percentage. Uh, Jalen Green's ADP is 77.4. 
Um, probably don't want to go clay with Steph um, at this point of their careers. They're probably both going to not play a ton of games. I think clay was able to play more last year than he had, than you may have expected. Um, but still not a ton. Rozier was a good one. You mentioned CJ McCollum, uh, also Marcus smart, two guys that don't have great field goal percentages. Kyle Kuzma's ADP is 90.7 and he is going to have a bad field goal percentage. I mean, we, we were talking it's with Zach, it's going to be him or Jordan Poole trying to both average 30 points per game. So, um, both of them right there. And then let's see, Scoot Henderson. I don't think, even though he is kind of a guy that's more of a slasher, I think just being a rookie point guard, especially if Dame is traded, he's probably not going to have a great field goal percentage. Um, I think uh, I think that'll be my list. Oh, Kelvin Johnson is also his ADP on Yahoo's 106. So maybe that late ninth round target, and he's going to have a bad field goal percentage. But he's going to score a lot, hit a lot of threes. That's really it, but he's gonna have he's gonna fit a punt field goal percentage build pretty well and better than he will if you're trying to well, he'll probably fit punting a good bit of things other than points and threes. So Yeah, look, I think if yeah, if you're punting field goal percentage, the challenge is going to be well, it's not a challenge, I suppose, but finding like big guys that block shots usually shoot well from the field. Mm-hmm. Um so which, which sort of goes against what you're trying to punt. So probably a good early center, another early center to target there might be Miles Turner because his field goal percentage mm-hmm. isn't as good as like a Walker Kessler or um, even Jaron Jackson is probably a, a good fit if he falls, which he's probably not going to. He, he seems to be going, uh, his ADP is what, 15. So he's probably not going to be available. Um, but a Miles Turner because he, he shoots threes, which drags down his field goal percentage a little bit, um, but will get you blocks, um, can get a couple of assists. So so there are options there, but I would say if you're punting field goal percentage, try and get a centre early um, just to shore up those blocks. Yeah, because I'm looking at uh, the centres in that range, and I'm not saying – not that I guess you're trying to actually get the worst shooting team possible, but you're disregarding it a little bit, and all mm. these centres – some, one of their biggest strengths is their field goal percentage along with their rebounds and blocks. I mean, just in that range, Clint Capella, uh, Jakob Pertl, Mitch Robinson, Robert Williams, uh, Valentunis, Wendell Carter, a lot of those guys, you know, over 50% shooters, Akongwu, Jalen Duran, over 50% field goal percentage, um, good rebounds. Most of them are shot blockers. I don't think Wendell's a great shot blocker, but yeah, you gotta probably try and find somebody early, earlier uh, if you're trying to find more strengths than that field goal percentage, because that's kind of what it is in that later part of the draft. Is like you said, the typical center rebounds, blocks, high field goal percentage, low free throw percentage. So, yeah, look, I, I was just looking through the the ranks here. Someone good to target actually. So if you're if you if you're getting Curry in round one, I guess you're taking him around pick seven um, based on what current ADPs have him at, um, which means, so if you're picking at seven, which means you're picking at what, pick 18 or something on the way back, which means you're at pick, what, 31. If you could snag Wemby, he'd probably be a good fit for this build because his field goal percentage is not going to be very good. But he's going to hit some threes. He'll score some points. 
he'll definitely get blocks, um, rebounds. So if Wemby's available at 30, 31, wherever you're picking there, he would actually be a nice second target, I think. Yeah, I agree. I'm trying to figure that out. I think there's there's plenty of good targets there. Uh, but when it comes down to it, you don't necessarily have to punt field goal percentage no. with stuff. So um, we'll go to the next one. This comes from at JetsFanatic545. Adam, I'm also a Jets fan, so we go through the same pain every single year. Um, but his question was, in a 10-team league with Joel Embiid as the first pick, what types of players do you surround him with? He's pretty well balanced, and I expect his assists to race closer to five this year. With the Harden stuff going on, I couldn't, I guess, qualify it any better than the Harden stuff. That's probably the best yeah. way to really describe it. Um, he's averaged 4.2 assists per game the last two seasons. Um, I don't have his numbers up to see how it was in that season after Ben Simmons, before the James Harden trade to see if it was closer to five, but definitely possible um, for that to happen, especially when he's done 4.2, two years in a row, and it's probably going to have more responsibility. Um, So we'll just, I mean, if we're looking at his numbers, he's not, he'll get you a three per game, but he's not great there. Um, And then the turnovers, those are, really the only two categories that are negative. I'm just looking at basketball monsters rankings to see which ones are red. Uh, the assists and steals are average, but the assists go up to five. It'll be more helpful, especially from a center. Um, so you have, in my opinion, a ton of flexibility with where you go the next few rounds. You probably don't need to punt anything after the first round. You're not saying, okay, I need this guy to fit this. You're just you probably can make that decision in the next few rounds if you want to, but I don't think you necessarily need to punt anything. It's, it's getting guys that are maybe all around guys, or maybe a couple of things to kind of sort of punt because of that flexibility he provides. Um, but if you're, I'm assuming that it says, it says Embiid with the, his first, I'm assuming it's his first pick. Um, and that's going to be pick two or it should be pick two. So in a 10 T league, that would be picks 19 and then back around to 22. So who would you kind of go based on that? Uh, yeah, look, before I give a name, just I agree with what you said there. Like he is, he is balanced, which makes it, well, it makes it hard if you want to punt because you don't yeah. really know which way to go from here. Obviously turnovers, you probably, but I mean, I disregard them no matter the yeah. format. Um, because mm-hmm. if you're going to get guys like Embiid who have the ball in their hands a lot, they're going to turn the ball over. So um, that's why we don't like turnovers as a category. Um, and, yeah, look, I mean, there aren't many players that offer across-the-board production. There, there's very few. Both Embiid and, and Jokic do, which is a reason why they're the number one and two players in terms of ADP and rank last season. Um you're actually in a really good spot to build, though, here with Embiid because if you're, as we have suggested, if you're at pick two, which we think this might be, you're basically picking back-to-back every time or not quite but but close. So if you're going with Embiid as your first pick, you can actually build a pretty well-balanced lineup because you can target certain players you're not having to wait like 10 picks between each pick. So you, you can just go, okay, on this first turn, I'm going to target a guard that's going to get me some assists, some steals, some threes, get those guard stats. 
Now I'm going to target a big guy that's going to get me some rebounds, boost my field goal percentage. And you can do that every time. So every time it comes to your picks, you can go one guard, one big, or one wing, one big. So I'd probably be looking at uh, someone like, uh, I mean, this is based on Yahoo ADP that I'm looking at. Someone like a Trey Young, if he's, I, th- I feel like he's going to go up a little bit in the in ADP as we get closer to the season. But at the moment, his Yahoo ADP is 23. So he would be available. So maybe you look at someone like him and, I mean, Sabonis based on ADP might be there. If you could get a Sabonis and Trey or Fred Van Fleet, James Harden, Larry Markinen. But that is probably what I do. I like I'd suggest going a big and a guard each time and you can just ensure that you're getting and then it might be that you get to a point in the draft where there's just an abundance of guards and you go okay i'm going to lean into the guards here a little bit and maybe punt blocks or maybe punt rebounds um so it does give you certainly a lot of flexibility yeah i was actually i was looking at yahoo adp as well and this would be picks 19 and 22 and that would be sabonis and then trey young and so I, I think that fits out really well, whether Embiid raises his assists at all. Those are two guys that are going to get a lot of assists. Sabonis is going to probably offset, without looking numbers, actually making sure it's true, offset a lot of Trey's field goal percentage concerns. Um, and like we said, we don't really care about turnovers. Um, I'm expecting Trey Young to be much better. I don't know if I'm just a hopelessly <laughs> biased fan that is just expecting him to bounce back every single season. But I, I genuinely believe with Quinn Snyder, he'll be much better than last year. Um, so I think he'll be able to hit more threes. I think, yeah, it's like he two seasons ago, he hit like 3.1 threes per game. Then it dropped to 2.1 last season. Mm-hmm. I think he gets that back over three kind of helps with some threes there, but generally my strategy from what I've seen the, the mocks that I've done um, is that I'm going to get my bigs really late. So you could like, I like you said, like, flexibility you can kind of do whatever you want with it um i'd probably go more guard heavy here i i do like going sabonis and trey there so maybe not as much that but there's so many centers that are currently being drafted outside the top 100 that are going to be really good this year for example a mark williams or a jalen duran or a zach collins getting them kind of later so I mean, I'd be going Trey Young there, especially if he's there. But there's plenty of guys that could slip right above, um, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, would probably be going a little bit before you'd get the chance to. But based on their ADP, they could easily slip. Um, and then I'm going to, if it'll load, look at the next few guys: like Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, Cat. I mean, because Embiid has no weaknesses, you can really do whatever the heck you want, and you're probably going to have a good team. Um, so I guess as long as you're kind of committed to a specific strategy, then that's fine. But Embiid fits with whatever. So he does. Yep. Uh, I agree. And, and yeah, even looking beyond that, looking down to the next pair of picks would be, which would be down around what pick 50, like whatever it is, 40, 49 and 51 or 52 or something. Um, like, Based on Yahoo ADP, Nick Claxton is there. So so you could go, as you said, a couple of guards, and then on this one you come back and you go um, someone like a Nick Claxton, Chet Holmgren might be there, Evan Mobley potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Julius Randall. So, yeah, certainly a lot of flexibility. One of the, I mean, all this does is really tell people that if you got a top two, top three pick, you're in a really good spot this season. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of how it's been is the tiers are you're probably going Jokic one and B two, and then some combination probably of probably Luca three and then Tatum Halliburton or SGA four, five, six. And then I think it's kind of, you know, depends on the, the person and who they want to go. Are you going, it looks like based off Yahoo ADP, it's pretty much Steph at seven yeah, um, or even earlier. And then it's kind of more of a drop off, but I think, I don't know. I think it's a clear top six and then it's kind of more of an opinion. Maybe everybody believes Steph is the pick at seven. I'm not as convinced. And I think I've been looking at a lot of the numbers. Um, the numbers I've been looking at recently are like games played. Seth played 56 last year and, you know, 64, 63, the, the two years before that. Um, I've been looking at, I guess, not as much him, but I think he does get away with it a little bit more. Like KD, everybody has as a consensus, like this is a first round pick, no doubt about it. But then Kawhi, Paul George, and AD, I guess less Anthony Davis this year, kind of take hits. Whereas KD played 47 games last year, Anthony Davis played 56, Kawhi played 52, and I believe Paul George played 56. So KD played the least amount out of all of them. Mm. And over the past four seasons, he's played less games than all of them. And I feel like nobody ever talks about KD as being – maybe less people talk about KD as being injury prone. That's, that's, I think I have that in multiple columns in our draft guide and I am really trying to hammer that home, but, but Hey, that's fine. Um, not everybody has to agree. That's fine. <laughs> oh, no, uh, it's a, it's a really good point. Like I'm, I'm probably higher on Kawhi than a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. cause he's, I mean, I don't know what, he, what's his ADP. Uh, uh so his ADP is 27 yeah. on Yahoo, 39 on fan tracks. Um, X rank is 23. See, to me, that I'm okay taking Kawhi in the early third round, um, like 25. But as you said, he KD is going 10, 9. Mm-hmm. Um, Kawhi is not. And per game last season, um, I'd say Kawhi was close to Kevin Durant. He probably wasn't as good because it did take him a while yeah. to ramp up when he came back. But this season, I could see... I could see him certainly beating KD on a per-game basis. And I think – let me pull up the uh, final two months of the season. And Kawhi was seven and KD was 16. But that was eight games of Kevin Durant because he barely played over the final two months because of various yeah. injuries. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Kawhi was able to play a lot down the stretch. And I think if he didn't get hurt again during the playoffs, maybe – Maybe it'd be more of a consideration to take him earlier, but like I understand the concerns with Kawhi, Paul George, Anthony Davis, guys like that. I just also am having those same concerns for Stephen KD, and I think less people are. But I think it's something yeah, to consider. That's it. Yeah, oh, it is. Yeah, and I mean, everyone like everyone's going to, as you said, once you get past pick six, it's a bit of a a free for all. Curry seems to be going at seven, but if I had pick seven personally. I'd probably take Lamelo, and I know he's coming off Seven. injuries, but um, I, I just think f- across the board he's 
so like Steph is obviously elite scoring threes, but Lamelo just rebounds, assists, steals threes. Um, I mean, I think people forget how many three pointers uh, Lamelo took and hit last season. Um, yeah, he averaged four per game. Yeah, and I, think and I don't Steph know where that more. puts him. I don't know where that puts him in the league. Um, but it'd have to be top I, ten, top five. I think maybe. per game. He was okay. So Steph, Clay, and Damian Lillard hit more. That's it. That's okay. It. Yeah, and I think people underestimate that or forget that element of his game. That how many threes he hits um, mm-hmm. because they maybe they just think back to Lonzo and his weird shot, and then Lamelo's. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a mindset, but um, yeah. Look for me, I'd I'd probably take Lamelo over Steph, but that's that's probably just more of a personal preference. He, because uh, Lamelo was 30th per game last year. He only played 36 games. He like injured the same ankle like three times. Yeah. And now everybody says, oh, he's injury prone. He played 75 games the year before, 51 as a rookie. So I don't know. If you look at, I think Steph in his second season played like 22 games or something like that because of ankle issues. And then for a while there, he had a really healthy stretch. And Lamelo is healthy now. I kept having this, like, it's probably not going to happen now, now that you're saying you're going to take him at seven. But my dream was to get him at, like, 11 or 12 and then Trey Young yeah. at, you know, 13 or 14 and pair them together and just not care about field goal percentage or turnovers. But it sounds like you're uh, going to keep that dream from happening. Well, oh, no, look, I mean, you think he will. I think, as I said, I think that's me. I don't think he's going that high. Um, what's his – his ADP's – Yahoo ADP is 12. So, yeah, so sort of lining up with where, where you're So maybe it'll happen. Um, but, yeah, as you said, two years ago, he was he was basically a top 20 player, and that was in his second season. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at his per-game numbers last year, his assists went up, threes went up, points went up. Uh, it was just his efficiency. And, and yep. when you're coming back from multiple ankle injuries, it's going to take you a week, two weeks to find that rhythm – get used to playing next to the guys again. And that he had to do that two or three times. So I think if his efficiency goes back up to 43, 44, his points probably come up to 26. Um, yeah. Anyway, enough on Lamelo. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to talk him up too much. Yeah. Cause then, then we won't get him in any drafts, but yeah, he's going to be so good this year. All right. Let's uh, let's move on before we, we change topic a little bit. This is from at Mac attack one, four, five. That is Mark C on Twitter does great work for sports ethos and in the dynasty community. What is your favorite non-typical league setting? This can be all flex spots, assist to turnover ratio instead of turnovers or anything else. Adam, I think you played in quite a few more uh, fantasy <laughs> leagues with fun settings than I have. Um, what is, what's your favorite? Um, in terms of categories, I like, so we've changed our, my home league to, uh, I talked about this with someone. Um, we got rid of turnovers cause I hate turnovers. So we got rid of turnovers, uh, and then got rid of both percentages and we now have true shooting percentage, I think, or effective field goal. It's one of the two okay. as a seventh category. So we're only going seven categories. With yeah, no turnovers, no field goal, no free throw, just effective field goal or true shooting. So I think that's a. It seems to be a pretty good reflection of 
if you look at the rankings, if you, you set up that kind of a league in, in Basketball Monster or, or wherever it is and, and have a look at the projected ranks and where they finished, it's a fairly good reflection of how good players actually are. So um, I like that one. Um, I don't like... I don't know. I, I mean, I just don't like turnovers. So I think if you can get rid of those, um, ideally, I'd just say get rid of turnovers and play. The only issue is that makes it an eight category, which which isn't uncommon at all. But it means that mat- weekly matchups can end in a tie, which if you get yeah. to the playoffs, it makes it a little bit complicated. Do you split the money if the final ends 4-4? So if you're looking to, to sort of get that ninth category, maybe assist to turnovers, maybe you split rebounds into offensive and, and defensive. I don't mind doing that. Um, Two-point, three-point percentage. Uh, so there's some flexibility there. The only thing with if you if you wanted to add true shooting percentage, I think it is on fan tracks, it's a premium feature. So it's not something you can do just as a standard setting, you actually need to pay the premium fee to do it. So that's the only downside. Um, all flex spots, I love all flex spots because it means I can just draft 10 guards and just <laughs> totally punt rebounds, blocks, field goal percentage. Um, and it it changes the draft up quite considerably because I might target a guy that's top 80 and I'll just take him at 60 because I don't need Walker Kessler. I don't need Nick Claxton. So it does change the draft quite considerably, but I like all flex spots, but it's uh, yeah, certainly not for everyone. No. Um, I, so I haven't played in a ton of different leagues with fun rules. I tried to, especially recently, limit how many leagues I'm playing in so that I have time to focus on them instead of just having a ton. So maybe that's... Maybe a lot of people are more sickos about it than me, but um, the the dynasty league that I started, I, I tried to do a few fun rules with it. One of them was the all flex spots, um, and this, you know, I'm excited to see how that goes. I feel like I didn't take advantage of it as much as I could, um, but I'm I think just, the, I'm just bringing up my roster in that league. Yeah, where is it? Uh, take me later. Here it is. I just want to uh, curious because we drafted quite a while ago. <laughs> yeah I'm the other kidding. the other setting in there was it's less for the uh for the rosters it was more for the lottery system having everybody get a lottery ball and i think so the way that one works is that um it's like the three worst teams each get 10 lottery balls and then it just kind of works its way down to the point where everybody that makes the playoffs gets one lottery ball and then the league champion so it's if you finish first place and then that's a lottery ball and then winning the actual league in the playoffs, another one. So I guess in theory, whether you're first place or barely seeing in the playoffs, win the championship, you get a second lottery ball. And it's, I mean, I don't know, probably won't ever work out. I think I have it to where it only impacts the first eight picks or something. Maybe I never actually, I don't know. I said I was going to do that. Maybe I didn't actually put it in there, but so somebody could barely sneak in the playoffs and then have like a one or 2% chance of getting the first pick the next year. And I think it's, it's going to, you know, be frustrating if you have a really bad record and still don't get to pick early, but it's going to be, everybody's going to have fun in that moment. I don't know. I'm excited to see how that goes. 
Uh, but I think, yeah, I don't have a ton of non-typical league settings where I've played in. So, yeah, it's that. That's always a hard one. Is the draft the next season? Um, <laughs> especially like again, my home league is a keeper league. So, if you finish last, you've probably well it depends on injury, but you've potentially got the worst keeper if you finish last. So, you would like to get the first pick the next year. Mm-hmm. So you so you can it's almost like a snake draft and you've got the first pick in that next round. So yeah. we split it. We do, we do a lottery for the top eight and it's a 14 team league, I think. So we do a lottery for the top eight and the bottom six. So if you're in the bottom six, you guarantee the top six pick. Um, no waiting or anything like that, but I, I, I don't mind that idea with the lottery balls. I would say a fun setting that I've, it's been around for a long time and, I've discovered a little bit more this season is do an auction draft because um, mm-hmm. I've done a couple and I'm already, I don't know if I'd say I'm hooked, but it, it allows you to get your guys um, no matter what, like there's no advantage of having the first pick or the sixth pick or anything like yeah. that. So, so I'm really liking auction drafts at the moment. I, uh, <laughs> so I participated in the one that you hosted with Josh and I tried to go back and, and listen to some of it. I know I, I didn't even listen to the very end of that draft because I got four players and had like $11 left for my last <laughs> 10 spots or something. And I thought I was doing great because I was like, wow, I'm getting all these guys at lower than ADP. I'm or like a- average uh, money spent, I guess, on ADP. But um, so I was like, great, I'm getting everybody a good value. And then I was like, wow, I have just enough to get everybody $1 left. And didn't also realize that at the end, I was going to have to pick 30 seconds, get like 10 guys in a row. Yeah. So I was absolutely panicking for that. I think I, I think I picked Dylan Brooks. I I'm pretty sure I saw his <laughs> I name and I, said, did, yeah. and I was like, why am I doing this? But I was just like, I don't want to hold everybody up. Everybody's trying to leave. I have 10 picks in a row. All right, here we go. Um, how bad was that? <laughs> uh, I do remember that actually. I remember sitting there going, no, was the only one left here. He's got like five picks back to back to back to back to back. Um, all for a dollar. Oh, look, it was interesting. I mean, auctions are new to me. And, and so I left Josh. I think I was in that draft. Yeah, Josh's draft. Mm-hmm. I left with $30. Um, mm-hmm. I was happy with my team, but could have upgraded at a few spots, um, gone a bit harder on a few guys like Lamello. I really wanted him, but he got to like $53. And, and I said, oh, no, I'm out. I want to save my money. I want to save my money. And then it got to the end and I had way too much money. Um, yeah. But it is interesting to watch because you and I think Mitch Casey, or was that in my draft? I think that I was know, your draft. My draft. So like a few guys will go really top heavy and mm-hmm. and just spend the majority of their money <clears throat> in the first sort of 10 minutes. And then you just sit and watch basically. Um, whereas I know Alex Barutha, because he did it in both drafts, Josh tries to do it. I tried to do it. Is try to just be more balanced and mm-hmm. not necessarily have a top ten player, but have eight top fifty players or something like that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to watch all the different strategies unfold, um, especially when you're doing it live on a on a show. Yeah, I didn't even go in with any sort of strategy. I was like, okay, I'm just going to try and get good value. That just makes sense. It's my first ever time doing it yeah and i ended up getting sga <clears throat> excuse me sga luca tatum and then donovan mitchell was like 29 dollars. 
And I was like, okay, I felt like all these guys were good value, but then I realized I spent my whole budget getting good value on a few guys. So I don't know how that would work. They all have played a lot of games last year. So I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been as bad as it seemed, but the rest of my team was uh, was pretty bad. And I'm sure there were still guys available that I should have picked over who I picked. Thankfully, that was just a mock. <laughs> yeah, to practice more before I put actual money down for that. <laughs> yeah, and that's all I'm trying to do at the moment is, is trying to get into mock auction drafts. But there aren't a lot of them around. Um, mm-hmm. It's still It's still the minority when you look at how people draft because it does take longer. Um, so I'll probably do another mock maybe before I, before I go away. Um, because as I said, my, look, my home league that we've, that we do have money in, we're changing mm-hmm. into an auction draft this season. So I need nice. to, I need to be prepped. Yeah. And, uh, there's, his name is, uh, NBA dynasty prospects. He's at ops watching on Twitter. He has been saying it for a couple of months to do auction drafts for dynasty leagues. And it's the best way to do it. And I think now I'm like, okay, I agree. But also this was like 13 or 14 man rosters, 12 team. If we're talking about, you know, you're probably wanting to go 300 players deep for a dynasty league. Yeah. That would take so long (laughs) to try and do an auction draft for, you'd have to basically block out. I don't know. Cause it took like two hours to do probably like a hundred. So probably like four or five hours to do that. So that's. Yeah. I'd say it would be. Yeah, four at least. Yeah, it's a a big commitment. All right. Well, we – okay, so that was non-typical league settings. So I guess we didn't get too, too far off track. But we'll go to the next one, which was from Karan, at Karan underscore Tawar27. What is your overall free agency bidding strategy in terms of what percentages you bid, how you manage the money across the season, et cetera? Um, So I guess – First, just a basic definition in case anybody listening doesn't know. Instead of just using regular waivers, just you have an allocated free agency bidding budget, uh, whether it be $100 or a lot more. And then each day, instead of submitting a waiver claim, you put a certain amount. If you put the most, then you get the player. Um, Probably more than $100, actually. Maybe more like 1000 I guess you have to make it last the full season. So... um, Adam, what's kind of your strategy for that? Oh, look, it depends on the league settings as well because you might have a maximum number of acquisitions per week. You might have three per week, one, seven. So the more the more acquisitions you have, probably the less you want to be bidding because you'll go through your money quicker. Um, make sure you have a look at the settings to see whether you can bid $0 because often the setting will be that mm-hmm. you can bid 0 um, so you don't always have to be bidding a dollar and losing money. So just be aware of that, and and if you want to keep it secret, don't and don't tell anyone. If you, you might have some lead mates that don't have a look at at that sort of thing, and so you might be able to get some nice bargains through the season. Um, look, in terms of how much, I I based on my experience with free agency budgets, it's not. It's not very often you get to the end of the league, uh, end of the season, and and run out of money. Like I've always got money left. So if there's a guy that you want to go after, like if um, I don't know, what are we looking at? He say um, I don't know. Say Luka Doncic blows out his knee. Um, I don't know. And uh, Jaden Hardy is available, and and they say Jaden Hardy's going to start. He's going to play 33 minutes. He's available on your waivers. 
like bid 30 bucks, bid 40 bucks. Don't be afraid to bid high on him um, because pl- players like that don't come around too often. Like if it's a guy that's going to benefit, clearly benefit, step into a starting role long-term, go hard. That's that's what I would suggest. Because if you bid 20 and then whoever ends up getting him for, I don't know, 28 and you get to the end of the season, you've got 30 bucks left. You, you could have gone to 40 on him, that sort of thing. Basically what I did in the auction draft. Um, <laughs> don't be afraid because you, you'll like you, you'll always be able to pick up players for a dollar and zero dollars most days um, who, who just fill a need. I need some steals. I need some threes. But getting a player that's actually going to be like a potentially top 50 or top 70, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I think – like you said, it's just how long are they going to make an impact and what kind of impact are they going to make? If it's like you, your example, Luca, long-term injury, Jaden Harden, Jaden Hardy is starting. That's probably something you spend a lot of money on. Or if, but if it's something like, oh, this player's sitting back to back, I think it's probably pretty obvious, but they're sitting back to back or just missing one or two games. You, you might throw a little bit of money down. If it's a guy that you think is going to clearly thrive, like I'm pretty confident Christian Wood will be rostered in most standard leagues. But for example, if he's not and Anthony Davis is going to miss a game and Christian Wood's going to step into the starting lineup, you might throw down a couple dollars, but you're probably not going to try and blow the bank for one or two games. So it's just the length of how long they're going to be in a prime position. I mean, if it's a guy that I guess nobody expected to do anything. And then all of a sudden first three games, he's averaging 25 points, like whatever, something ridiculous. It's how sustainable is it? You know, Cam Thomas last year, three 40 point games in a row. Um, goodness. You probably spent a lot on that to try and pick him up. And then all of a sudden his role goes to nothing. So it's, you know, it's kind of a risk with it. And then from the dynasty perspective to me, it's, I'm probably not going to make many small free agency bids. If if I'm picking up a guy in a dynasty league that I think has real value long-term, especially, I'll just blow my whole budget just to make sure I can get them on my roster. Because if somebody's popping up in March or February, kind of, you know, doing something, I'm less confident in that being sustained the following season as I am somebody that's doing something in November. Because I just if it, if they're doing it when everybody's healthy and nobody's tanking, then it's different from later in the season when some teams may be, you know, kind of trying to get some looks at some other guys, resting their starters, managing injuries, managing minutes. If somebody's popping off, then it's slightly different. So I'm I have no problem blowing my free agency budget um, early in the season for a dynasty league if I really believe in a guy. Whereas redraft, I'm probably doing a better job of actually budgeting. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I think that's all fair. Um, and look, if Luca go, well, let's hope Luca doesn't go down. But if Luca went down, Kyrie, <laughs> Kyrie goes walkabout somewhere, um, and I don't know, Seth Curry's pretty old, getting older, and, and not as efficient as he as he once was. Maybe we're putting some money on Dante Exum. Because I have to get his name. Oh, yes, <laughs> I thought you were just trying to get more and more gruesome with the Luca injuries. I was no, like, goodness no. gracious, where are we where are we gonna stop? Um, but yes, the Dante Exum. If, if everything else fails, Dante Exum <laughs> is there to stay. That was that was 
That, there was layers to that. You set that up. I like that. <laughs> there was, yeah. And then we have to mention him at least once. I, I was. Uh, I thought at the beginning, I was like, should I just mention it at the beginning? And I was like, ah, I don't want to just force it. I feel like the last couple of times I forced it, but I'm glad that happened naturally. That was huge. It was. That was a perfect segue. <laughs> um, so we'll go to the next one. Um, apparently, so this is from at Dutch Flight on Twitter. Who is the stereotypical "quote unquote" injured guy that rests a lot? That's actually becoming a better value in dynasty because a lot of guys rest now, such as like Kawhi or Kristaps Porzingis, or now because Adam has wished every curse on him, Luka Doncic, who apparently is going to suffer a ton of major injuries this season. Um, so I guess we can start by talking about the stereotypical injured guys because I kind of started a little bit earlier. You know, Kawhi, Kristaps Porzingis, Paul George. Um, these are the guys that in my mind have that label. Um, Anthony Davis, LeBron, um, Steph, a lot of the older guys, Steph, Jimmy Butler. And, and I don't know if it is, if it's like that for you in my mind, he's a guy that is going to rest games, uh, but he played mm-hmm. 64 games last year. So I, I don't know if that's really fair to label him with that. Uh, Damian Lillard, um, Zion. Yeah, that's, that's probably my list. Is there anybody I'm missing? No, I think that covers most of them. And, and for me, I mean, Dynasty obviously isn't my area of expertise, but the common, I think for me, like when I was looking through this and going through the list, I was trying to think of guys that have this injured tag, but that aren't old because age obviously impacts a lot in Dynasty. So Paul George, LeBron, Steph, these guys are all mid-30s, whatever they are. So, yes, injuries play a role in, in in their value, that kind of thing. But if you're if you're looking to win now, then they make sense. Target them, see what happens. But if your plan is three years, four years, you want to look at injured guys that aren't old, like Porzingis. I think he's a good one. I think Zion is a good one. Um, still quite young, but have that injury tag. I don't know if that makes sense from a dynasty perspective but just to me that's that's who i'd be looking at targeting unless you're looking to win right now uh then you could go with lebron or um uh, or steph or someone like that but even uh even anthony davis still relatively young when compared to some of those guys so he, he would be another one that would get a bit of a bump i think yeah and i think with this question how i feel about it is going to depend on how this season goes you know this is the first time that you're having to hit a, a 65 game threshold to win any award except i think rookie of the year and all rookies yeah. excluded and then they just threw in this rule that's not going to actually impact anything whatsoever um but where you can't rest a star or two stars on the same team um at the same time yeah so that's not going to impact a single thing because not very often were teams quote unquote resting players. I mean, it happened. I think the Warriors did it a couple times, a couple times last year on back to backs where Steve Kerr would literally say the night before, yeah, no, they're not playing, but they're just not going to list them as rest. They're just going to list them as this injury or uh, honestly, even more popular than rest last season was specific injury, injury recovery, which I mean, it was, there was one, I forget the example but there was somebody that had like injury recovery for an injury that they had suffered like the previous season. Like it was something like ridiculous like that, but that's not going to actually impact anything. But I don't necessarily think that there is somebody that I guess not as bad of a value, but it's 
there still are players that are playing 70 games. You know, the guys, everybody knows the guys that are going to, like on our list, that are going to play games in the 50s. So I don't know if more guys playing slightly less helps people like those guys value all that much. Like, you, you know, when Kawhi's on the floor, he's going to be one of the best players in fantasy basketball. You know, he's going to miss at least 30 games. So I guess it could maybe affect their value depending on the time of year. So, you know, trade deadline of your league, maybe the price is higher if Kawhi is healthy at that time, as opposed to beginning of the season, you don't really know. He's coming off an injury last year. What's he going to look like early on? How much is he going to play? I don't know how much his value is right now, but if he's playing a lot around the, the trade deadline for fantasy leagues, which is, I I don't know, in my mind, it's probably a little bit after the trade deadline for um, the NBA, but I guess it depends on your league. Um, it's more of a timing thing for that. I think it's, I mean, I, there already is a dynasty kind of values kind of change as the seat, like depending on the time of year, like picks are way more valuable right before the draft, kind of after the season than they are at the trade deadline. Players are kind of flip-flopped. But I think especially with those guys, if they're healthy at the trade deadline, that's kind of their peak value. I don't know that I want to make a move for a Kawhi Leonard after the Mm -hmm. fantasy, after my dynasty season is over. I don't know if I want to make a move for him in May because he still has his his playoffs. We saw him get hurt last year, and then it's like five – six months before he's playing again. We have no idea what he's looking like. It's his value changes. So I think that's kind of like my way of not answering that question, um, but also kind of answering that question. But I also like, I said, Jimmy Butler played 64 games. I believe Chris Stapps played 65 last year. I wouldn't, I think Chris Stapps has better value than he did previously simply because he showed that he could do it. I think Boston is not going to run his knees into the ground. Um, I know they like Boston is probably actually the team with the the history of not having great medical history for their players, but um, specifically like Isaiah Thomas, when you look at that, but if they're smart, I think they'll at least manage his minutes, not rest him, but label him with some other injury and give him off days to manage his games, play manage his minutes. So that extra talent around him, I think will help him. I wouldn't be shocked to see him play 65 again. Yeah. And and I think, this in turn probably helps like a Robert Williams who f- falls into this category of yep. always injured but very young. That's a good point. If if they do manage these minutes, which I'm assuming is the plan here, um, Williams is probably only going to play <clears throat> 25 a night, something like that. They're not going to need him to play more than that. But if he can play 70 games, I think if we look at his value next season compared to what it is now – it'll be significantly higher. I think people have short-term memories. So like we said with Lamelo, he people are viewing him as an injury guy. I'm not drafting him. But the season before, he played 75 games, which last season would have put him right at the top. Um, and, I mean, all of this, as, as you, you touched on all these new rules about resting and injured players, that sort of thing, to me it just seems like the NBA is basically doing everything they can to not have to reduce the number of games in an NBA season. <laughs> that would be the easy solution here. Let's it make it be. 70 games. But then they can't sell tickets. They sell know, less tickets by doing that, or they raise the ticket prices. I think that's actually a, the only solid counterpoint is that each game, the, the ticket prices are more. But I, I agree with 
lowering the games anyway. Yeah, it's that would be the that would just I think that would stop a lot of this because no or, or just no back to backs. So yeah. maybe you make it seventy five games because seventy two games. But yeah, I don't know. There's there's obviously no easy solution. They're trying, um, but as you said, it's not injury management or that sort of thing is is something that a doctor can stand by and say mm-hmm. this guy has had ongoing like Giannis, he's gonna get injury managed because of his ongoing knee issues. And there isn't really going to be a doctor that said, no, no, look, he should be playing. Even if they send in an independent medical professional Mm -hmm. to look at him, the history, the teams are going to document what they need to document. So, yeah, I I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. Yeah. Yep. Um, Yeah, we'll go to the next one. So these are the three questions that I had, um, but we'll start. So who has the best chance to dethrone Jokic this season? Um, if you're looking at nine-cat scoring, he has been the best player in each of the past three seasons. Um, maybe this is wrong, but I believe for Roto as well. Um, that could be – I'm trying to look through it really quickly. Yeah, best player for both Roto and per-game value in three straight seasons. Um, does anybody – have a chance to beat him out. We'll just say specifically for per game um, value this season. Does anybody have a chance and who do you think has the best chance? Uh, I think the probably, I mean, the easy answer would be Joel Embiid. I think yep. he's probably the the one because for a lot of last season, he was number one. Um, I said earlier, they're pretty similar in that they, they offer production across the board. I think if Embiid's assists go up, like they might, if if the Harden thing goes through, the Harden stuff, um, Embiid maybe maybe has a chance to be the number one player per game, but you'd still think that Jokic is going to play more games. So probably still ends up being the number one player. Mm-hmm. But if I had to go a dark horse to do it, it's probably Anthony Davis. Um, it, there's a, a lot that would have to happen, but he was number one for a period last yeah. year, for a month or so. Um, LeBron is starting to scale back slowly. Um, so I think Anthony Davis could do it um, just because of his defensive upside. His rebounds went up last year, I think quite significantly. He'd been down, let me pull up his numbers. I know he'd been down at around eight or nine. Where are you, Anthony Davis? Uh, so, so yeah, he was down at – so his last year he was at 12.5. Year before he was 9.9. Year before that, 7.9. Year before that, 9.3. So his rebounds went up two and a half to three rebounds per game on the season before. So if he can maintain 11 to 12 rebounds, um, I don't know, two and a half to three assists – over a steal, over two blocks, doesn't hit threes or try to shoot threes as much anymore, which is a good thing for him. So it means his efficiency is is better. Free throws were better last season as well. He would be the guy that I think could could do it, um, but there's obviously a lot of risk with his injury history. Yeah, I mean, those are going to be my two guys that I was looking at was Embiid is the guy that, has probably a realistic chance to do it. 
Anthony Davis if a few things swing his way, like you said, he was the best player for a nice stretch of games and then missed like a month or two and was just kind of sitting up top there. Um, and then when he started playing again, it dropped a little bit, but um, I don't really think anybody else has a very realistic chance. I mean, SGA was incredible last season. I don't think he gets better statistically this season, or at least better enough to pass Jokic. Um, KD and Steph, Damian Lillard are the next three guys on per game value. Um, I think assuming a, a trade to Miami happens, he Dame takes a hit. KD having, I don't think it's going to be dramatically worse, but sharing with Bradley Beal and Devin Booker, I imagine his value takes at least a little bit of a hit. Uh, Steph, I have no idea what the heck Golden State's going to do with Chris Paul, but I imagine maybe Steph gets a few less assists. I don't know. I don't see a great situation for anybody to skyrocket past Jokic, aside from Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid, unless somebody just comes out of nowhere and takes like just a massive leap. Like if LaMelo, for example, LaMelo drops his turnovers a little bit, you know, gets to like the 26 points, seven rebounds, nine to 10 assists, a steal and a half field goal percentage becomes average. Free throw percentage goes back up. Like, is that even enough? Like he's, he's probably a guy that it's, but that's even banking on just LaMelo ball significantly improves. And now he's like, you could probably say that about a lot of guys significantly mm-hmm. improves. It happens. Cool. I mean, if it happens, it happens. But I think as far as guys that have been close and have a realistic chance Embiid and AD are probably the only two guys for me. Yeah, I agree. I think if you, if you look at players that would only need to sort of make a significant jump in one category, maybe two to get to at least challenge, I think Luca. If he somehow figures out how to shoot free throws consistently and gets up over 80%, he might nudge that top spot um, because at the moment that drags him down because of the the value, uh, the, the volume that he shoots. Um, so maybe, but I mean, even watch, I think in the World Cup, he was 80-ish percent. It's, it's a smaller sample size and it makes sense that he should hit free throws. Um so maybe that happens, but the sample size that we have of him shooting 73, 75 is a lot bigger than what he did in the World Cup. So we have to we have to base it on that. So yeah, for me, Embiid, Anthony Davis, um, Lamelo, that'd be great. But yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. No, I'm, I was just going through and saying if you if you punted any single category, how much who becomes the new like top guy? I think I just went through everything. If you punt. Like rebounds and or field goal percentage, it becomes SGA. And if you punt like steals or assists, it becomes Embiid. I don't personally. I don't think SGA is gonna be able to even repeat what he did last season. Um, mm. I'm not saying it's gonna be dramatically worse, but I think it, it'll probably take at least a little bit of a hit. I don't think. Oh, Chet Chet Holmgren's here. SGA is going back to 25 points per game, but I think he's going to probably take a little bit of a hit just because there is more talent there. And he's just, I don't think he's gonna be able to repeat what he did last year. It's just incredible. So yeah, yeah I think uh, Jokic is the betting favorite to repeat for a fourth straight season. <laughs> yeah. And Dylan Brooks is an outsider um, coming. That's why, that's why I took him. performance. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, oh so Dennis Schroeder is the other guy that can maybe. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. The next question was, who is a player that you're avoiding at their ADP? Um, I guess depending on how you w- want to look at it, you can use either FBI's specific ADP data or Fantrax or Yahoo's general. I don't know. Maybe you, if you want to look at ESPN's ADP data, I have no idea. Um, if you've looked at their rankings at all, um, if you want to get a quick laugh, you can look at ESPN's rankings. Um, but Yahoo or Fantrax ADPs or just FBIs, is there anybody that you're kind of seeing where you're like, yeah, there's just no way I'm spending that pick on him? Uh, I think Bam Adebayo is going a little bit high for me in, in some drafts. I've seen him going in the second round um, a bit high for me. Possibly, I know people are really high on Desmond Bain. I don't think I'm as high on him, um, so I don't think I'm going to get him. I'm not saying he's sort of been priced out completely, but he's probably just a fraction high for me. Um, I'm just going through the ADPs now. I don't know. I, f- I felt like Wemby was too high early on. Uh, but has settled back into a decent range. I think he's in around 30 now, where he was up around mm-hmm. 20 uh, earlier, about a month ago, three weeks ago. So so I don't mind uh, Wembenyama. Um, uh, who else? Anyone anyone that you've got specifically while I look through the ADPs? Yeah. Um, so I've already mentioned, I would agree on, I mean, even still with Wemby's new ADP, I'm probably not getting him at 30. I'd probably need to yeah. get him closer to 40 if i'm going to take him so i don't plan on getting him anywhere i already mentioned kevin durant as a guy that his adp on yahoo is 11 to me i'd rather go the couple guys below him i'd, I'd probably rather go Lamelo or anthony edwards uh than kd or ad right there um maybe if it's like on the flip getting at like 13 or 14 i would go kd or ad but at their ADP is just a little bit too high for me. Um, it, you know, you mentioned Desmond Bain and Fred Van Vliet's right above him. And maybe again, I'm just a biased Hawks fan. Um, so I won't even phrase it like that. I won't phrase it as I can't believe people are in like, it's general consensus that Fred Van Vliet and Desmond Bain are going above Trey Young. I'm not going to just question that. I can't believe that Bain is going in the second round. And I don't know, maybe this is just, my thinking, I can't imagine Fred Van Bleet like being worth a second round pick in Houston. And I'm and it's every time I look at his uh his production over the past four seasons, he's been a top twenty five guy, top twenty over the last three, like despite shooting thirty nine percent from the field. Like I just don't know how much that's gonna translate now that He's not playing for Nick Nurse, so he's not going to play 37 or 38 minutes per game in Houston. I'm a Udoka. I was, I was writing this column earlier, so I was looking at all these numbers. Uh, Jason Tatum played 35.9 minutes per game in Boston, and then I think the next closest was Jalen Brown at 33. And I just can't imagine I'm a Udoka saying, okay, Fred VanVleet, we're going to continue to play 37 minutes per game, mm-hmm. and you're going to have a green light because – everybody in that starting lineup is going to want that green light. Like you have Jalen Green's going to want one. Dylan Brooks has made it clear that he wants one. I can't imagine Jabari Smith. I mean, Jabari Smith might be like their 
fourth or fifth option on offense because Dylan Brooks is going to want to take shots. I just, I can't see him getting the same volume offensively. You know, the steals he can probably still get regardless. Um, the assists, I can't imagine staying at 7.2. I don't know. Maybe this is just me not having any belief in Fred Van Bleep, but um, maybe somebody can make a good argument against me. But as of right now, like there's no way I'm taking Fred Van Vliet in the second round. And maybe that's somebody's looking at me and saying, no, that is, that is a ridiculously dumb take, but I'm just not, I don't even, you, you could probably convince me that you're, that taking him there isn't a bad idea. And there's just no way I'm going to look at a draft and say, okay, I have picked 21. Yeah. I'm going to take Fred Van Vliet. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Look, I think, I think they're all fair points. Um, I'm for me, it will be a little bit dependent on your build. Like we said, if, if you had taken, okay, yeah. um, like, uh MB Jokic. You well, probably not Jokic as much, but if you if you get Embiid, if you get Luca, because Fred Van Fleet's going to drag your points down a little bit. He's not going to be he's going to be 19 points, yep. 20 points. He's not going to be 25, 28, 30. So if you're not punting points, you need to really lock up points early. Fred Van Fleet doesn't fit that build. So I think he if he's the right fit, I'd be okay to take him at the back end um, mm-hmm. of that second round because you can then pair him with someone. Um, but on pure value, yeah, I think there's guys that I'd, I'd rather over him. Um, and, I mean, this question in itself is, is a little bit loaded in that it does depend on what stats you're looking for. Like mm-hmm. players' value is dependent on where you view them. So a consensus top 40 player to you might be might be top 35 or might only be top 60 so yeah so i mean yeah i think desmond bain's gonna be really good this year but i think he also is gonna have a little bit of a drop off when job gets back his numbers i think i was looking at them they were only kind of like slightly elevated when job went out last season in the however many games he missed that desmond bain played in so I think it'll be better. I don't know if it'll be as dramatic as maybe some people think, but then when it gets to be that 25 games jaws back, it's either going to be, he didn't take as much of a step forward in this expanded role as maybe I expected, or it's going to be, okay, now he's taking a pretty good size step back. Now that jaws back. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about, I'm not saying bad value in the second round. I just don't know how I feel about taking him in the second round, but uh, is there anybody else while well, I've been talking that you have kind of said, eh, I don't know about them at their ADP? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I guess there probably is, but once you get beyond, like I sort of was scrolling through, once you get down to pick 60, 70 and beyond, you're really just taking you guys at that point. Um, I, their ADP, their value is not as important because you're chasing stats the difference between, I mean, we or anyone that listens to anyone that does fantasy knows that the difference between a the hundredth ranked player and the seventieth ranked player is it's barely anything. Um, difference between the twentieth ranked player and the third ranked player is significant. So, in those early rounds, you you want to try and get some upside. You want to stick with some sort of solid picks, but beyond about around the fifth round, sixth round. You just take who you want, really. Yeah. Um, cool. And I guess on that topic a little bit, um, the last question that I have is, who is your favorite late-round target that could have a lot of upside this season? Um, I guess 
this one is kind of like the whatever just depending on the size of your league round 13 or 14 or whatever and kind of the standard one i i have one pick and i want this guy that could maybe maybe have a really good season and finish like top 75 or something like has that upside a lot of things have to go his way or like just a guy that you're like i want him on my team every year because or every draft because it's fun i really want this guy i believe in this guy like who is that for you so I looked at uh, so you you said late round so I I sort of yeah deemed that to be sort of outside top one forty so like okay. the last round but I mean we could go shallower um, and, and there are a few guys that I like here but it depends on like some of them I just think are, are decently safe picks like Javon someone like a Javon Carter who's available I think he could be solid like mm-hmm. I don't think he had top seventy upside like you alluded to. Um, but so there are a few names that I like. Dennis Schroeder is another one we talked about. Um, Josh Hart, based on his ADP, um, I think he's quite clearly a, close to a top 100 player. I don't know why he's going that late. Uh, I like Jalen Suggs still. I like Quinton Grimes. I like Tari Eason. So there are a few guys there that that I like to take a bit of a flyer on. Paul Reed is the one that I like in terms of a guy that I think could have top 80, top 70 upside if if the uh, Nick Nurse has sort of said they're going to play him alongside Joel Embiid. He might start over PJ Tucker, which makes a lot of sense because PJ Tucker's like 80 years old and averaged two points a game last season or something. So I think the days of of PJ Tucker being an impactful player despite not producing are are almost behind him now. Um, Paul Reed's showing what he can do. So if, if Reed gets up to 25, 26 minutes, I think he could be really good. Um, so he's probably a favorite. Um, Zach Collins, Ben Simmons. <laughs> I'm all about Ben Simmons this season. Uh, oh. I think he's he's going to go up go, um, as we get closer to the season. Yeah, the ADPs are really interesting to look at every time I like, especially at the end, because you know, you mentioned Zach Collins, Mark, Mark Williams's ADP is 130, and he's gonna be the starting center in Charlotte and was really good in that role last season. Same thing with Zach Collins, but then you have like Bull Bull slightly below that, Andre Drummond slightly below that, and then after those guys, you have like Josh Hart, who's mm. going to be really good. I don't know, Jeremy Sohan has a lot of upside. I like him, um, depending on his role. But like, it's not even confirmed that he's coming off the bench. I think that's kind of what I would speculate is that he's kind of in a six-man role, but that's not even guaranteed, and he's going 140. I'm sure that really fluctuates to either probably either undrafted or a little bit higher depending on the uh depending on the league. Um I think Amen Thompson as well, just because of Kevin Porter Jr. being an idiot um and not playing, I would assume, out of the NBA. Um Thompson may see a little bit more of a role as a rookie than maybe we expected. I think that was also kind of my thing with Fred Van Bleed is in Toronto, his backups. And I'm not going to try and just keep making this where I just try and tear down Fred Van Bleed and just talk about <laughs> how much I don't like him because that, it's not the case. I don't dislike him as a player. I just think it's a little bit high for his ADP. Um, in Toronto, the last three seasons, obviously he was there with Kyle Lowry for a little bit. Uh, or maybe that was the last two seasons without Kyle Lowry. Anyways, um, his backups were like Delano Banton and Malachi Flynn. 
and now they just have this guy they just selected number four overall. Like I, I just can't see Fred Van Vliet playing 37 minutes per game when that guy's sitting on their bench. But um, I like his upside, um, but I guess it kind of depends on do you want to go like a, a safe pick, a guy that can probably contribute but not a ton, or a guy that has a lot of upside. Another couple other guys that I like, um, would, which would be using my Hawks bias, would be A.J. Griffin or Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. Sadiq Bay is probably going to start the season as a starting power forward, but Jalen Johnson could definitely take over in that role, and he's shown an ability to you know, get out and run, handle the ball a little bit, maybe do a little bit of playmaking and transition, get seals, get blocks. He's not a great shooter, but I think he has a lot of upside. And then A.J. Griffin kind of different stat set, but like a same boat of being able to score, being able to hit threes. And I could see him carving out a little bit more of a role, especially I'm just reading reports of the Hawks, maybe not done making moves. They've expressed interest in Siakam for a long time, or I guess the past few months anyway. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich's contract is about to become eligible to be traded. So if he gets moved in a deal for Siakam, then all of a sudden AJ Griffin becomes the sixth man. If DeAndre Hunter gets traded, then could he take the starting spot? I, I think those are two guys that I would keep an eye on, um, partially because I'm biased, and partially because I don't. I think the Hawks are going to make a lot of moves between now and the trade deadline. I think the roster looks pretty different. Yeah, yeah, uh, and even just looking here um, before we, we head off, I think we've kept people for a long time again. Uh, <laughs> I like. I like Josh Richardson as a last-round pick. Mm, I think he's going to start in Miami. Doesn't Again, he's not a guy that has top 70 upside or anything, but could very well be top 110, top 100. Uh, And then Luke Kennard, if you need some points and threes late, I think he starts potentially until Jar's back. So he could be a really good source uh, of threes, efficient scorer from the guard position. So a couple other guys really deep. Yeah, I think... If uh, they were able to swing that Damian Lillard trade, Josh Richardson probably ends up as the starting shooting guard. And I know this because I was writing about it, but uh, he has two top 100 seasons or two top 75 seasons, kind of both, and they both came with the heat. And then he kind of left and wasn't really able to do anything. He goes back. I could see it happening. Um, So, yeah, no, Josh Richardson's a good one. I really like him in the later rounds. But um, like you said, been taking everybody's time. We somehow managed to just turn eight questions into uh, almost an hour and a half of podcast because heck why not? Um, but that's going to do it uh, for this episode. I think it was episode 24 uh, doing this Q and a, make sure you follow Adam on Twitter at Adam King 91 and Adam, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. I'm sure I'll be back again soon. Oh, of course we definitely you're on, you're on the schedule like five times the next six weeks. So yeah, Perfect. All right. Thank you for listening.